Let's turn to Galatians chapter 1. If you were with us last week, you know we start, we stepped into a new uh, series in the book of Galatians. We're going to be spending the next several weeks walking through this book, verse by verse, step by step, um, and learning what is the gospel, which may sound like a super simplistic question if you've been around church for a while, but I think oftentimes uh, we can forget things, we can miss things, we can stray into other areas, and today we want to just, or the next couple weeks, we want to just press into what is the gospel and how does it impact our lives on the day-to-day basis, and what does that mean for us? And so we're going to do that again today. If you're a guest with us, man, we're so glad you're here, and if you need a Bible, there should be some hardback black ones in the chairs there around you. You can grab one of those and follow along. If you're online, welcome. Glad you're here as well. Um, So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to be picking up in verse 6 today uh, as we dive in to um, this message, No Other Gospel. So um, as Chris kind of mentioned earlier, you know, we're in this season of the year uh, where we hear a lot about New Year's resolutions, right? Um, Just quick show of hands, how many of you set a New Year's resolution this year? Okay, this is not going well. Um, (laughs) I won't ask the next question then. I was going to say, how many of you 15 days in are still on your New Year's? Some of you didn't want to raise your hand because you're like, I'm already out. It started, it's like, it's gone. Um, Some of you are like, actually most of you, it looks like, like, yeah, I gave up on that a long time ago. That's... Uh, Just not going to work for me, so uh, we gave up on that. But um, as you all know, one of the common ones for uh, this time of the year for New Year's resolution is to do with weight loss or fitness or, you know, trying to get in better health, and we see all the ads for the gyms and the stuff, and what strikes me is that every year, every year, there's always some new thing, right? The new diet plan or the new piece of fitness equipment that's going to finally make you want to get out of bed and work out, or the new thing that they're, they're offering, like if you just do this, if you just take our program, if you just buy our equipment, then it'll finally be easy. You'll finally get there. It'll finally fix this issue. And so we do the new thing, we buy the new thing, and it works for a few days or weeks or whatever, and then eventually it falls off, or we fall off, whichever it is, and we're right back to square one, right? Because in reality, I think what we're hopefully understanding or learning at some point is if we really want to be healthy, if we really want to be in good shape, there's really only one solution, right? It's always been the same thing. Eat healthy, exercise regularly. We're like, yeah, I don't like that one. That, that one's no fun. I don't want, I don't want that one. But that's, but that's it. That's, that's the solution. There's only one when it comes down to it. The same thing is true when it comes to the gospel. That's what Paul's going to press on this morning. No matter how we want to dress it up or change it or add to it or take like, at the end of the day, there always has been, always will be only one solution to the sin problem of our lives, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. One solution. We don't need to try to change it. We don't need to try to add to it. We don't need to try to, to get it to be something else. We just need to stay true to what it is. So Paul reassures us of that today, and he's going to challenge us to stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. No additions, no changes, no better options out there, no silver bullets to finally fix it. Just stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So with that, let's take a look at verse 6 and let's dig in this morning. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, 
But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even we, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. First thing we want to see from this text this morning, number one, the Father's gospel is the only good news. The Father's gospel is the only good news. It's interesting here when Paul launches into the letter in verse 6, he starts off, he says, I am astonished. In other words, I'm shocked, right? Like, what is happening in Galatia, right? Like, he's like, what is going on? I was just there. Now, if Paul, normally when Paul opens his letters, if you've read the other letters in the New Testament, he starts with like a prayer or a praise or a thanksgiving, like I'm so thankful for you and your church or some type of commendation. Like, it's usually like this really warm, nice, inviting start to the letter. But not here, right? Like, he just immediately jumps to the point. He's like, there's no time for niceties this situation is extremely urgent, right? I might compare it to like if you're a parent and um, you see your child stepping out into oncoming traffic, right? You're not like, hey, hey, Johnny, can you please just step back? and come? Like, that's not, a, that's not a good idea, come back. No, you like run and scream and yell and growl like, what are you doing? Right? That's what Paul's doing. He's like, I ain't got time for all that. Like, this is urgent, And so he's jumping right in. He says, I'm astonished that you so quickly, so the shock is even further exasperated by how soon they have come into this danger after their conversion, after him being there with with them, that you are so quickly deserting. Now I want to talk about that word deserting for a moment. That's an important word in this section. Deserting here in the Greek, it means to, to transfer one's allegiance to the other side. Right? It means to go to the other side. It's like to play for the other team. Right? If you've been around St. Louis very long, um, you probably remember, such as I do, um, the, the dreaded day that we found out that our beloved Cardinal, Albert Pujols, was leaving and going to play for some team out in California that will not be named. Right? Like That was a hard day. But imagine if the news wasn't he was going to California, but he was leaving the Cardinals to go play for the Cubs, right? You'd be like, mm, that's deserting, right? Like that's going to the, the enemy side. That's the, the, the word in the Greek was used to describe soldiers who would go to, to would desert to the other side of the fight or politicians who would flip to the other party, the other side of the, of the, of the, of the argument. Paul's saying here, like, listen, you're becoming spiritual turncoats. He says, you are so quickly deserting him who called you in grace. Now, him who called you is kind of a phrase that Paul uses throughout his letters to describe one person, and that is God himself. So he's saying, listen, you're you're not just deserting my teaching. You're not just deserting the gospel message. You're deserting God himself when you turn from this. Because you see, the gospel is wholly and completely his. 
It's his grace, it's his gospel, it's all his, and so to turn from one is to turn from the other. The gospel is the only way to be with God rather than against God. It's the only way to be on the team. It says you're so quickly deserting him who called you in grace and turning to a different gospel. All right, air quotes around different gospel. Because he, he follows up with, like, not that there is another one, okay? Like, that's not really a thing. It doesn't exist. There is no other gospel. There is no other version of the gospel. There's only one true. All the others are false. All the others are fake. There's just one. Now, I've been using this word gospel a lot already in the last sermon. This sermon, we're going to continue to be using it throughout the series. So maybe we better like define very clearly this morning, like what is that? What are we talking about? The word gospel literally just means good news. All right, it's just a basic definition means good news. In the Christian faith, it specifically means the good news that you and I can be saved from our sin, saved from hell by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We talk about the gospel every week here at Harvest because this is foundational to who we are. We understand and we believe that there is a holy, perfect, righteous God who created us to worship him, to love him, to be, be with him, and yet as humans we choose to rebel. We sin, we, we disobey his word, we go against his will, and because of that we deserve wrath, we deserve punishment because we have rebelled against the holy God of the universe. But the good news, the gospel, is that instead of giving us the wrath that we deserve, God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth, to be born as a man, to live a perfect and sinless life, to be perfect, and then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. To go and stand in our place. We just saw this. To stand in our place and take the punishment that we deserved. The death that was ours to have. He died in our place and he went to the grave and three days later he rose back to life. Proving that he was God and offering us good news. That we can be saved from sin. We can be saved from hell if we will turn from sin and put our faith in Jesus alone. That's the gospel. That's the good news that Paul is talking about here. And because that is the good news, every other message out there is bad news. Because every other gospel that you find says you have to do something to earn your salvation. This is the only one where it's a free gift of God through grace and faith. Every other gospel so-called gospel is bad news because they say you have to earn it and here if you haven't figured it out yet let me just kind of give you a heads up this morning you can't okay we can't we're not good enough we can't ever get back to perfect once you sin there's no chance of getting back to perfect again and that's what it takes so Paul's gospel God's gospel the true gospel is the only one that leads to eternal life freedom from sin and a relationship with him. There is no other gospel. That's what Paul's saying. You know, this, this is the danger of other religions, other cults, even other denominations at times, is they, they, they'll come out with these phrases like, well, you know, we're, we're really all the same. 
Right? Like it's, we, we all believe in God. We're all, we're all the same. Different nuances, but we're all the same. But, but we're not. We're not. Because if that was true, you wouldn't be trying to convert me to your thing, and I wouldn't be trying to convert you to my thing. Right? Because there's differences here. Like, well, we all, we all worship the same God. It's, it's all going to the same place. We might get there different ways, but it's all heading to the same direction. No, it's not. Because you say grace and faith is not enough. That you have to do something else, and that's not the way you get there. You see, these other groups, these other religions, they'll, they'll use words like grace and faith, and sometimes even Jesus, but they mean something different. The definition is different. The teaching is different. And therefore, it's not the true gospel. They're preaching a different gospel that, in fact, is no gospel at all. It's not good news because it always puts the onus back on us to get there. And that's bad news. So Paul here, he is yelling at the Galatian church through his letter, like, don't be tricked. Don't, don't lose sight of the true gospel. Don't turn away. He uses that word turning there. What's interesting is the word turning is in the continuous present tense. Now, some of you are like, I have no idea what that means. Oh, it's okay, I'm going to tell you. It just means that it's a continuous process. Right? So they're in the midst of turning. They haven't yet fully turned away from the gospel. Like They're still in process. Right? So in Paul's mind, he's like, man, there's still hope. Like, you're, you're, you haven't fully done it yet, so like, there's still hope that I can get you back, that I can help you see the truth, and you can turn back to the true gospel. And so he's urgently trying to help them see this. And, and I think what's happening here is this, the churches here in Galatia, they're, they're just like churches today. They're just like churches all throughout history. You can go to any church, ours included, and you're going to find different people with different hearts, and different understandings and levels of faith. It's just part of it. And I think when Paul went there and he, and he preached the gospel to them, I think some of them came to genuine saving faith in Jesus Christ. Like they, they genuinely believed they were saved, they were all in. And at this point, they've just become confused. You gotta remember, I mean, they've only known the gospel for, I don't know, a couple months maybe? Maybe a year, right? They're young in their faith. Paul was only there for a short time. And so these other teachers come in and start teaching other things, and they're just too spiritually immature to know the difference and to discern what's true and what's not true. So some of them, I think, are genuinely saved and are just have gotten led astray. Others, I think, probably confessed faith in Jesus Christ, but it was a false faith. They're like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. I'll do that. I'm in on that. Until the next new thing comes. Oh, okay, no, no I'm going to do that. And you know these people where they jump from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. Right? So I think you have both going on here. But as I was reading, it reminded me of Jesus in one of his parables when he was, uh, when he was walking on the earth. He, he had the parable of the sower and the soils. I don't know if you guys remember this parable or not. But there's, in, in the parable, there's four soils that represent four different types of hearts of people. And the sower is throwing seed, which is the gospel, and the different soils are receiving the gospel in different ways. And there's three soils that are bad soils, right? Like, they're, like they're, not, they're not hospitable to the gospel. They don't receive it. It doesn't get implanted. It doesn't grow, you know, it doesn't grow right. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't stick. They never truly are saved because they never truly receive the gospel because the soil's not ready, right? 
But there's a fourth soil that it says is the fertile soil, and that it did receive the gospel seed, and it did plant, and it started to grow. But then it says that that fertile soil also produced different amounts of fruit, different amounts of, of, of wheat, if you will, right? Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Now, looking at that parable, I think oftentimes what we think or what's been taught is like that the variances in the fertile soil and the good hearts that have received the gospel are due to like, you know, different people's giftings or callings or capacity. Like, well, this person just, God uses them in a different way and he's given them different gifts and so they're able to produce more fruit than maybe this person over here and that's okay. He's good with all of that. And I think some of that's true. Some of that's true. But some of it is also the result of varying levels of faithfulness and fervency to the gospel. Right? We can be saved. But then for a season of our life, even though we're saved, stray away from the gospel. Either through other teachings that get us off on the wrong track, or through seasons of just unrepentant sin in our own hearts or in our own lives. And in those seasons where we're straying from the gospel, the consequences of that is that it reduces our fruitfulness in the gospel. And we're not able to bring the yield for the kingdom and for the, God and for the Lord that we could if we had stayed and stood firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're still saved. It's not a salvation issue necessarily, but we can turn away for a season and have to be called back. And so I'm not sure exactly how much of which is going on here in Galatia. It doesn't tell us. It's probably a combination of both. Some weren't really saved at all and they needed to actually believe the gospel. Some were saved and just started to stray into this teaching. They need to be called back. But either way, Paul knew these were baby Christians that he had to rescue. And he was telling them, listen, the only good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other gospel. And the question before us is, do you believe that? Like, do you personally truly believe that Jesus is the only way? That there's only one true gospel? They've done survey after survey of those who are professing Christians in the United States over the last 10 to 20 years, and every one of them consistently comes back with a high percentage of professing Christians saying, oh, I think there's probably other ways. Do I believe there is only one true gospel? You need, to, you need to nail that down if you haven't already. Because this is a non-negotiable in order to follow Christ. Non-negotiable to be a Christian starts right here. This is ground level. Saving faith starts and stands on the truth that Jesus is the only way. So Paul's trying to get them to nail that down. Trying to get us to nail that down. He continues on in verse 7, though. Take a look here. It says, Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. 
Number two, second thing here, false gospels are always bad news. False gospels are always bad news. He starts off, he says, there are some who would trouble you. Okay, so again, the scenario here in Galatia is, after Paul left, there were some false teachers who came in, and they started to confuse, to trouble these believers. And they were teaching that Paul's gospel, his, what he had taught them, that it fell short. That it wasn't the full gospel, right? That yes, you have to believe in Jesus, he got that part right, but you also have to keep the Jewish law. Specifically circumcision, right? And, and they would have arguments, maybe something like this, like, well, after all, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, right? So it tracks, logically, like, the Jewish law, the Jewish teeth, like, that still applies here, so you still got to do these things as well. And the Galatians, they probably thought, yeah, okay, that makes sense, right? This is just kind of an extension of Paul's message. Like, he had to leave quickly, maybe he didn't get to t- teach us everything, so they're filling in the gaps, and we can, we can do this, we'll just step into this, and maybe this is a, in a greater way that we can follow the Lord. But Paul is writing to say, no. They want to distort the gospel, he says. Again, that word distort is super important. It means to reverse or to flip to the opposite side. Right? You see, what they're doing when they're coming in with this, this teaching is they're saying that works, following the law, has to precede salvation. They're literally reversing the order of the gospel. They're saying, first works and faith, and then salvation. Where the gospel is the opposite. It's, no, first, you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and then you're able to start following God's word. They're flipping it. They're reversing it. And by reversing it, it actually nullifies the gospel altogether. And it becomes no gospel at all. In years past, I've said it this way, Jesus plus anything ruins everything. Jesus plus anything ruins everything. Anytime we try to add another thing to the work of Jesus Christ, it nullifies the gospel. It ruins what God sent him to do. And there are, unfortunately, there are still churches in our world today, even Christian churches, or would call themselves Christian churches, that are, are Jesus plus churches. Right? They have something else they're adding to the gospel. Now, it's usually not circumcision anymore, because we're, we're kind of out on that. Right? We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm good. But they'll add other things. So those, yeah, you have to have faith in Jesus plus, you have to be baptized. You're not really saved until you, you have faith and baptism. Or you have to be saved and you have to have these certain spiritual gifts. And if you don't show those certain spiritual gifts, then you aren't fully saved yet. You're maybe on your way, but you're not there yet until those show up. Or church membership, right? You have to have faith in Jesus and you have to be a member of the church. Of course, it's always their church, right? Um, We don't believe that here, but like our church is the only real church, and so you have to be a member here in order for it to count. That's what they would say. Um, some would say you have to have faith in Jesus and you have to give this seed gift to prove the level of your faithfulness to the Lord. Or you have to be saved by faith and you have to regularly take communion on this interval in order to keep saving faith alive in your heart. 
or maybe some of the ones that some of us grew up with that we didn't like to maybe admit is, yes, you have to have faith in Jesus and you have to prove this level of holiness by following this rule and this rule and this rule. All of those are the same false gospel. They sound different, but they're actually not. They're all the same. That you have to do something in addition to faith to earn God's grace, to earn his favor. And friends, that is bad news. Jesus plus anything ruins everything. It's him and him alone. And so Paul says, they're distorting the gospel. And then he goes on, he says, if anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, we don't always catch it in the English, but accursed there is like an extremely strong word. He's saying, hey, if anybody is preaching a false gospel, they deserve and they will receive eternal destruction. Maybe in common vernacular, he'd be like, if anyone's preaching a false gospel, they can go to hell. Literally. Or like, like he is, he's damning them to hell in this moment. Not that he has that power, but he's, he's saying this is what it's going to happen. He's calling for them to receive God's judgment for their false teaching. Now, many today would listen to that. Some of you, I just saw in your faces, you're like, ooh, that's harsh. Like, that's, that doesn't sound like loving Jesus that I'm used to or that I like to think about. But see, for Paul not to say this would be the most unloving thing he could do. Because these people's souls are at risk. And we know it's serious because Paul doesn't just say it about these false teachers. He's not just going after this group because they came into his church and they're bad-mouthing him. It's not a personal thing. He makes it about any false teachers. He includes himself. He's like, even if it's me, even if it's the angels, if it's any false teacher, all false teachers, he says, have this fate coming for them. No exceptions. Paul here is making clear the litmus test for the gospel is not the messenger. It's always the message. It doesn't matter who is speaking it. It doesn't matter how, much, how great you think they are or how big their radio ministry is or how much you've seen them on TV or how big their church building is. It doesn't matter who the speaker is. If the message is not the true gospel that we see in God's word, it's false. And if that's happening, Paul's saying, God's judgment's coming for you. You know, we've often said here at Harvest, like, anything I say on Sunday mornings, like, don't take my word for it. Crack that Bible open and find it, man. Like, see if it's true. See if it's real. Don't take your small group leader's word for it. I mean, half of them, right? I mean, come on. No, seriously, like, I don't care who it is that's speaking to you. If, if, if it's not in God's word, then it's to be rejected. The message is the litmus test, not the messenger. That's Paul's point. And he says, furthermore, this is so serious that Paul repeats it twice. He doesn't just say it once. He's like, let them be accursed twice. 
Because Paul understands there is no more serious threat to the church and to God's people than false teachers leading them astray. A lot of times in our world today, we, we think that the worst thing against us is the world. It's them persecuting us or attacking our faith or coming after us, and it's us versus them and all of that. And I'm not saying that's not a hardship. At times it is. But that's not the most dangerous thing. The most dangerous thing is false teachers in the church feeding lies to God's people that's leading them away from who he is. And so Paul is nailing that right here. He comes guns ablazing to rescue his kids from death by heresy. I want you to do a little hypothetical with me first. I want you to imagine for a moment that, that you, it's summer, I know it's hard right now, but it's summer and you've been outside and you've been working in the sun, in the heat all day. You are just like completely exhausted and parched and you come in, hey Micah, I've been outside working all day. I am so, so thirsty. Do you have something that I could drink? I said, yeah, 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 absolutely. I can get you something to drink, no problem. I got two options for you, okay? First, you can have this amazing glass of sparkling, filtered, beautiful spring water, and you're like, oh, yeah, that looks good. Or you can have this contaminated glass of sewer water. Those are your two options. Which one would you like to drink after the hot day in the sun? And you're like, well, obviously, right? Like, I'll take the good water, right? Like, that, that's a no-brainer type of answer. But what if I said, well, actually, that one has just, just one little drop. Just one little drop of the contaminated sewer poopy water. <laughs> you can't even see it. Look, I mean, it's, you can't even tell it's in there. Who wants to drink this now? Like, no, I'm good. I'll, I'll find, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the gas station. I'll, I'll figure it out, right? Like, but it's just one little drop. It's just one little addition. But it ruins the whole glass. So many times we get into this mindset, well, it's, it's just one little addition. It's just one little thing we're adding to the gospel. It's just one little thing we're adding to the requirements, and it may even be, maybe it's even a good thing, right? Like, like baptism, that's a good thing, right? Going to church every week, that's a good thing. Giving, that's a, like, those are good things. But even the smallest addition to the gospel, even if it's a good thing, ruins everything. It contaminates the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ It says that God's grace in Christ's sacrifice is not enough. It makes it all about us and not about him. So ask yourself, are there any small additions that I'm believing that are contaminating the gospel? Are there any small additions that I'm believing, that I'm, I'm walking in, that are contaminating the gospel in my life? Maybe for you, it's, it's, it's church attendance. I've got to be there every week, in the seat, doing the thing. I've got to be disciplined in my following. Like That shows that I'm, I'm really in, and God's going to show me favor. Listen, man, I want you here every week. We love to gather and worship every week. 
but that does nothing to save you. That does not add to the gospel in any way. For some of you, it's, it's keeping the rules, right? Either the biblical rules or the man-made rules, like I got I to gotta check all the boxes, I got to do all the things, and that, then I know I'm really saved if I'm doing the stuff. That doesn't save you. For some of you, it's, it's, I hear this more and more these days, it's having that spiritual experience. If I don't feel it, if I don't come in every Sunday, if I don't, if I don't feel it, then maybe I'm not really saved. Nope, not the way it works. More and more these days, especially in some of our younger generations, it's, it's social action. We've got to believe in Jesus, but then we have to go out and, and, and help the poor and, and, and do this ministry and do that ministry and, and prove that we are the hands and feet of Christ. And Man, all that's fantastic. We love to serve and to love on people, but that does not save you. It doesn't. For a long time in the church, it's been knowledge. Believe in Jesus and know the book. Doesn't matter if you do it, you just have to know it. If I know it, then I'm good. All of those things are an effort to earn or to keep God's favor, and they distort the truth that you are fully loved by God in Jesus Christ. Before you do a single thing, If you have put your faith in him, you are fully loved and fully saved in Christ alone. No additions necessary. There's nothing we can add to it. There's nothing we can take away. Only his grace. So am I believing there's one true gospel? Am I walking in one true gospel without any additions? And then lastly, look at verse 10. It says, for I am now, I'm sorry, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Last thing, last point this morning. The gospel, I believe, determines the God I serve. The gospel, I believe, determines the God I serve. He says here, he says, am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Right? Now, this, he's asking this because this was one of the, the, um, the attacks that he had received from these false teachers. Right? They had said that he came, when he came into Galatia that he um, had changed the message of the gospel to leave out the Jewish law requirements because most of the people in Galatia were Gentiles. Right? And so like, they're not going to get that. They're not going to want to do the Jewish stuff. So I'll just leave that out and, and, and get them to believe in Jesus and that'll be enough. So they're accusing Paul here of, of changing the gospel in order to please man and to get them on board. But in reality, it wasn't Paul who had erased these requirements of the law. It was God himself. God had erased the requirements of the law when Jesus went to the cross. The finished work of salvation made that no longer necessary. Paul wasn't the one changing the gospel. They were. They were adding to it. Paul preached the true gospel in spite of criticism, in spite of attack from these Jews, precisely because, as he says here, he knows his job is to please God 
and not man. I love preaching the word to you every Sunday. But I'm not preaching primarily to you. I'm preaching God's word for God's favor and blessing. His opinion is the only one that matters. You can come out after service, you can give me an earful for all the things that I said wrong or you don't like, and I'm good. Like, I love you, and I'll talk to you, and I hope you come back, and we can continue to have dialogue, but I'm good because this is for the Lord. That was Paul's heart. His true audience was God, not men. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, talks about it like this. He says, it says that that this need to please people, Proverbs oftentimes calls the fear of man. Right? It calls it the fear of man because that's, what, that's what's happening. I'm afraid that you're going to reject me. I'm afraid what you're going to say. I'm afraid what you're going to do if I don't please you. Right? And so in Proverbs here in 29, 25, it says it like this. It says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now just break that apart for just a second. Believing the false gospel of men, that I need to please men, that I need to speak to men, that I need to do this for men, that is, seeking to please people is a death trap, is what he's saying. Snare is what you use to catch and kill animals. It's, it's a death trap to try to please man. But believing the true gospel of God and trusting in him gives the gift of life. It gives us a safe future in eternity with God. Paul says, Am I still trying to please man? And that word still there is really important. Paul here, he's referencing back to his old life. His, his BC life. His before Christ life. Right? He was trying to please men with that. Right? If you remember his story, he was living to please the Jewish leaders and the Sanhedrin in order to, to, to move up in the ranks and gain position and gain status and gain power and success. And he was trying to please himself by going out and, and meeting his ambition. That's why he was out persecuting Christians to try to show himself worthy. He worshipped himself and he worshipped man's approval. He says, if I was still doing that, if I was still living like that, he says, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, Paul's old life shattered when he met Jesus. We were just driving in the car last night. This, is, I mean, this just tells you how pervasive it is, how easy it is to misunderstand the gospel sometimes. One of our daughters was riding with me, and she's saved. She knows the gospel. She believes the gospel. I have no doubt whatsoever. And we're driving down the road, and there's a song playing called... Um, Jesus, I met Jesus in Miami, and he changed me overnight. And she's like, that, he, that doesn't happen. He doesn't change, he doesn't change people overnight. And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> he does. He comes in, and he completely changes our hearts and shatters what we used to think, what we used to feel, what we used to look at as meaningful. And he gives us a whole new thing. And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Paul said, I would not still be a servant of Christ if I had that old life, not for one moment. And from that point on, he worshipped Jesus alone. No other man, not even himself, he worshipped and he served Christ because he believed the gospel. 
when you finally believe that there is no other option, then you're all in. You're all in. Because whatever gospel I believe, whatever I believe will bring me good news and will bring blessing and bring me good life, that is what I'm going to serve. That's what I'm going to worship. Every time. The people in your life that you just, you're praying for and you're asking, man, God, save them and bring them. The reason that they're not believing and they're not worshiping Jesus is because they're too busy worshiping something else that they think is better news. They got something else on their mind, on their heart that they think is better than Jesus. And so they're serving that thing or that person. It doesn't work until you finally understand and believe that there is one true gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. There's an old hymn that we used to sing called I'd Rather Have Jesus. And and there's a verse in there that I think really draws this in. It says, I'd rather have Jesus than worldly applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. Yes, I'd rather be true to his holy name. That was Paul. That was Paul. He was a servant of Christ. What about you? Is that the cry of your heart? Do you believe so much that Jesus is the only good news that you can say, I would rather have him than anything else? Ask yourself this, whom do I long to please? And whose approval matters most? Day to day, moment to moment, who are you most trying to please? Your spouse? Kids? Your boss? Your friends? Yourself? The answer to that question reveals what gospel I truly believe. If it's anyone, if anyone, if I'm trying to please anyone more than Jesus, then I'm believing a false gospel and I'm making myself a slave to man. Only believing and standing in the true gospel will give you good news that you need for your life. So Paul's just doubling down. Stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand firm. Friends, there is no shortage of people. There are no shortage of promises in this world that will tell you that they have the answer. That they have what you want. They're going to convince you that, 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 that their thing is the best thing. If you just follow them, if you just do what they say, if you just, that you'll have the good life you're looking for. Over and over. But friends, God is clear in his word. What they are offering, if they're offering anything other than God's grace and peace through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it is a lie. It's a lie. 